Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Issues 2018. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Dr. Jeff Etling, Director, Sedgwick County Zoo. Nice to have you with us. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Welcome to Issues 2018. The Sedgwick County Zoo opened in 1971. At 21st and Zoo Boulevard in northwest Wichita, it is one of the top visitor attractions in Kansas, maybe even number one. Now, how long have you been with the, with the zoo, Dr. Edling? Well, I've been back now about 14 months now. Um, I do have some history here, though. I, I was uh, curator of herpetology from 1991 to 95 when Mark was the new director. I was one of his first hires, so it's good to be back here. Well, give me a little uh, background on, the, on your past. Where you come from and how did you get in the zoo business? <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm a native of the St. Louis metro region. I grew up on the Illinois side of the of the Mississippi River there, and uh, I started my zoo career at the St. Louis Zoo in 1987 as a reptile keeper. Uh, worked there for about four years, and then, as I mentioned a minute ago, I was hired here by Mark Reed in 1991 to come manage the reptile amphibian collection here. Four years later, St. Louis stole me back, and I spent 22 years there managing uh, the reptile amphibian building and. Now I'm back here. So I've, I've spent, you know, the last 31 years of my zoo career between two zoos, which is kind of unusual. Most most individuals will start out at one zoo, and they, as they want to progress their career, they move up, they have to move around. So mm-hmm. uh, I've been fortunate and very selective about where I want to work that I've been able to just work at two zoos. Seems pretty obvious to me. Your next stop is St. Louis. Well, no, I think I think this is the, this is the last stop on the train if everything goes well. So, okay, now that St. Louis Zoo, my dad told me when when we were kids that was the best zoo in the country. Uh, it must have had a heck of a reputation at one time, it, and it still ranks really high. It's hard, you know, to rank zoos. A lot of you know, looking at acreage or budget size or attendance, but you know, it, it still ranks up there, you know, as, as a top zoo. And we're right there too. You know, we have a great zoo here in in, in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, I've often said uh, that this is the hidden jewel on the plains. I'm I'm really hoping that the day comes at some point here in the future where we can host an AZA annual conference and have 2,500 of our closest friends here in Wichita. I don't think they'd ever think about the the zoo or the city uh, the same again, you know, just because most of them have never been here. I assume that uh, – what, what's your visitor count of the zoo now? How many people are coming out to the zoo? Well, our, our high point in 2016 when uh, the new elephant exhibit opened was 710,000. We average about 580, 581,000 uh, guests, uh, which is about you know 92% of our metropolitan statistical area. Most zoos would love to have that kind of attendance from their MSA. I had no idea. Yeah, really? It's very high. I thought it's very maybe 200,000. Yeah. That's terrific. Uh, how does that rank uh, as far as other visitor attractions in the state? Well, I, uh, I, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the number one tourist attraction in the state of Kansas. We're, we're going through strategic master planning right now, and one of the things that we've heard from our consultants that uh, we draw more from our metropolitan statistical areas than other zoos of our budget size. So, in fact, the, the blue ribbon panel they brought in of other uh, zoo and aquarium professionals 
basically said, we wish we had this kind of visitorship from our local communities. So we're, we rank very high. We also know that uh, our members value the zoo. They come back 19 to 20 times per year, which is double other zoos of our, of our size. So, you know, it says a lot about the quality of the zoo and what people think about us. Yeah, I assume that uh, uh, there are also zoo visitors that come in from all over the world, not just Sedgwick County. Yeah, we've you know it's one of those things you find uh, you've got zoo aficionados that wherever they travel, I'm, I fit into that bill. You know, of wherever I travel, I like to go visit the zoo, and we've heard the same things. We have we had no idea that your zoo was this large. We hear that all the time, or is nice and naturalistic. So. We also have that nice interface between native Kansas habitat and wildlife and the animals that we're managing uh, at the zoo, and it, it's a nice interface. And as I like to say, as long as everybody's playing nice in the sandbox together, that works out well. You, uh, we talked about the, a little bit about when before we went on the air. You were talking about the fact that the people who actually the Sedgwick County Commission, when they planned this way back in 1969, 70, uh, they were pretty uh, they were they were visionary in how much land they actually got. Yeah. yeah. They wanted a big, big area, right? Yeah. I, I gave a tour last year, and, and one of the ladies on the tour was a child when they were getting ready to build the Sedgwick County Zoo. And she said, I can remember my mother saying, I don't know why they need so much space. And I said, now you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, in those days, there was nothing out on that side of town. So if you look west of us now and all the development, we'd probably have subdivisions right up against the zoo. So it was, it's nice that we have you know, there's roughly 500 acres between the 250 for the park and the 250 for the zoo. We're on this kind of nice little isolated island, which is really nice. Once you're in there, you don't even realize that the city's that close. I'm a West Sider. I know what was out there. All that was there really was a sand pit they called Horseshoe Lake, where we all went swimming in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But that was it for yep. that whole mile section there, or whatever yep. it is. It's a big, big area. Yeah, I, I think the other nice thing is when you look at other metropolitan zoos is that Probably when they were built, it was the same kind of situation where there was very little around. And now they're isolated on 40 acres with everything else built around them and no place to expand. So I think the fact that, you know, we've developed 150 of that 250. We have another 100 acres that we can work with. We do want to keep considerable green space because we like that. Uh, But it does give us room for expansion. And what we did with elephants in, in 2016 is really what we want to do with the other resident animals is give them more space. And so that's going to be a big part of our, our updated master plan is to provide more space for the animals. Are you familiar with the old Wichita Zoo down in Riverside Park? I've heard lots about it. I've read the book. It's, uh, yeah, interesting you history. You put, put that whole zoo in your herpetarium. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, just, it was small. Yeah. Kind of embarrassing. And uh, they wanted to build something that we can all be proud of, I think. Yep. No. Tell us about your staff. How many people does it take to run a zoo? Well, right now, our, our full-time staff is around 122, uh, and then we hire equally that many you know, part-time people in the, in, the, in the summertime. So usually we're running up around 300, 311 people total. That's full-time and part-time, but uh, that's what it takes to run a zoo of, of this size. You know? And one of the things we're looking at is uh, as we redevelop some of these areas, uh, and put in, you know, other guest amenities that we'll probably see our staffing levels increase. And, you know, we've got staff that we hire on both the county side as well as the Zoological Society side. So there's, you know, employment on, on both sides of the equation. How does the zoo figure into local and regional education? I'll bet you host a few field trips out there. Yeah, I mean, our our 
education department is actively involved uh, in the Wichita region and beyond in terms of uh, conservation education, and they're constantly busy. E- even during the summer, we're hosting, uh, you know, summer camps and other opportunities for kids to come learn about wildlife and wild places. So it's an integral part of every modern zoo, and, and that, it's even going to continue to grow because in this era of what I call nature deficit, where we've got kids that don't spend as much time outdoors as, say, I did um, when I was 12, 13 years old, is that this is a great opportunity for us to connect them with wildlife, wildlife and wild places and to start to really develop those pro-environmental behaviors that will be very important as they become the next generation of voters. Over the years, I can't recall more than one or two escapes out there. Yeah, they're... <laughs> Far and few between, knock on wood. Yeah. I mean, that's what we like. I mean, we try to, we, you know, every zoo tries to run a tight ship. You know, it's it's usually human error when it does happen. I mean, uh, but... Somebody uh, left the door open. Yeah, somebody <laughs> left the door open and left the lock off. But I think with all the safety protocols that we have in place, and we continue to revise that to make sure that we're always on top of, of what's going on and that, you know, there's always somebody else that's double-checking. So we have we have the highest safety protocols you can you can imagine. Is it accurate to say there are more than 2,500 animals in that zoo? Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, when you look at individual specimens, you know, well, a lot of those are smaller animals, too, when you look at reptiles, amphibians, and vertebrates, you know. But um, we, have, we have a very, very large collection of animals we manage. And most of these are through managed programs with, you know, our accrediting organization, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, AZA. Um, there's over 500 managed programs collectively. And so we're managing these animals as one big population that move between one zoo and another, you know, based on their genetic, you know, um, composition and what's the best pairings. Let's talk about your exhibits for a minute. Start with the elephants, if you would, uh, where we've seen some some big changes over the past several months, couple of years. Tell yeah. me about the elephants. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in 2016, we opened uh, the new elephant exhibit. Uh, it's the third largest to my knowledge, African elephant exhibit in the U.S., about five and a half acres. Um, you know, Stephanie, who was one of our original elephants when the belt was built in 1973, moved over to the, the new facility. And then we were part of the, the import of uh, elephants from Swaziland that were, you know, succumbing to the drought there. And we received another six animals from there, which brought our herd up to seven. And then this past May, we received an adult bull elephant from... Uh, the Birmingham Zoo, whose name is Johnny. He's been here now a little over two months, and he's settling in like he's been here his entire life. Um, and so I, hopefully he's going to be the father of quite a few babies here in the future. That's, a, that's our goal, and that's why he was moved here. So, so, so what are people, what have the comments been about the elephants? They, they love it. You know, I think when you look at the amount of space that we've provided, but if you watch their behavior, I try to get out and walk the zoo every day, and they behave like wild elephants. They're not just standing around in one spot. You know, you see young ones getting in trouble with some of the the older elephants and being disciplined, you know, um, and trying to hide behind Stephanie, who's the matriarch, you know, for protection, you know. But it's the type of behavior you would expect to see in the wild. So we did the right thing for elephants. And obviously, you said you're looking to maybe add to the herd. Yeah, I think, you know, we're... Is it a herd? It's a herd, yeah. You know, we manage them. They're very social animals. We're, you know... uh, you know, seeing that develop over the future, we've got some models based on uh, what might happen if a Johnny breeds with with our females. What that population might look like, you know, in the next ten to fifteen years. So, um, and we're preparing for that, you know, and we're we're a, a big player in elephant um, management and sustainability here in the U.S. now. So, 
You're listening to Issues 2018 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Dr. Jeff Etling, director of the Sedgwick County Zoo. Uh, now tell us about the uh, Downing Gorilla Forest, which I get a feeling is another one of those favorites. Yeah, it's a, it's a very special place. You know, we've got two babies, um, Alika and Cece. Alika just had her second birthday uh, recently, so... Um, very popular spot, you know. Um, it's interesting that when the, when the zoo was built, gorillas weren't even available. You know, very few people, you know, zoos, I should say, were breeding them. And so the availability of gorillas wasn't something that looked like it was even going to be feasible for the zoo. So when we built, you know, um, what used to be called Apes and Man back when the zoo yeah, yeah. was open, that was built in 1982, we had just chimps and orangutans. But then the opportunity presented itself, obviously, for us to uh, get gorillas. We started out managing a bachelor group uh, of just which would be all male gorillas, and then uh, the opportunity presented itself for some females to come here. And we have a great family group. You know, Matt, who's the the male in that group, uh, a very good father, um, Kivu, and then we've got uh, Barika and um, Kigali, um, the other female. And they all, it's a really good family group, you know, and so. We're real happy with how that's progressing. People have asked us, how long will the two young ones be with us? And I would say at a minimum, at least eight years. And the reason I say that is that they need to observe their mothers having another baby so that they learn how to uh, be good mothers themselves. You know, as another social animal, you know, the last thing you want to do is separate animals off too early from, from their parents. So uh, that's what you'll see. They'll be around here for, for, for quite a while. And I grew up, maybe you did too, uh, all the movies I saw of Tarzan or whatever, you, you had gorillas that were just, they were, they were nasty, mean monsters that they would just tear you limb from limb if they got a hold of you. What would really happen if I happened to walk in, somehow get into that compound with one of Yeah, those? well, you know, they're just so strong. I mean, one thing is that one of the things we often say when we do tours there is if you were to go to the Congo and have an experience with gorillas, they do a lot of display and they're running around, you know, tearing up trees. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they knock you down, it may be, it's not because they want to hurt you. It's just because they want you to know, I don't want you in my space, oh, you know. Okay. But, you know, them knocking, me down, for example, is a lot different than, you know, another human pushing me down. They're so strong when you look at a, you know, 400-pound animal, mm-hmm. you know, running into you, it's going to be substantial. So we never share space with, you know, any of those animals at all, you know, uh, because they are potentially dangerous. Uh, and so everything is done within um, a protected contact situation, uh, which is better for all of us. One of the more interesting animals to me, and they're fun to watch, the giraffes. Yep. They're so doggone tall. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at where they Did live. Do you ever have on... a giraffe with a sore throat out there, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> That's my one joke. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell me about the giraffes. Well, if you, if you think about the habitat that they live on, live in, in on the African plains, you know, the, a, a lot of the, the antelope and, and other species have grazed everything down low is that, you know, they've, they've adapted to being able to capitalize on vegetation that's that's high up. And so it, they have an advantage over a lot of the other species that are living out there on the plains. Now, their, their closest relative, the okapi, which is found in the central uh, African rainforest, you know, if you look at it, it's got the, the head looks almost identical to a giraffe, but they have much shorter neck because the vegetation is all over the place. So mm-hmm. they don't have to have, excuse me, have that long neck to reach up to the top of an acacia tree, for an example. So um, it's, it's really adaptation for the type of environment they're living in and the, the, the food availability. How many giraffes do we have? We have four. 
We have a male. They're going to grow females. or anything? Well, or right anything? now we don't have any any breeding recommendations okay. for the group that we're managing. Okay. Tell me about the Penguin Cove. Yeah, we just celebrated uh, 10 years last year uh, of Penguin Cove, uh, up over 30 penguins. Last year we had, um, this past year I should say, we've had one of the, the highest recommended breedings occur here. Uh, and so we're really pleased with that. Uh, it's a really popular exhibit, uh, as it is at most zoos. We're getting ready to start a new penguin encounters. We've got three different animal encounters that we're starting at the zoo, uh, which will be paid experiences, one of those being Penguin Cove. The other one will be uh, with Aldabra tortoises and then one with the, the rhinos. But people will be able to go into an area in the exhibit and feed the penguins and have a discussion with the, the keeper staff about what we're doing for penguin conservation in Peru. So it, it'll be one of those up-and-close personal experiences that you'll never forget. Uh, by the way, just an interjection here. We had the past few days had a story out of, I can't remember where it was. It was in the Kenya, and a, a uh, Chinese tourist got too close to a hippo. That is, how many hippos do we have? Just a couple? We, we have a, we have two females that are original two females. And you don't? 46, 47 years old. You don't go you in don't with, mess with You that. don't go in with hippos. In fact, most people don't you know, realize that more people are killed in Africa from hippos than they are from Nile crocodiles. It's, most people would think the other way around. But, wow. yeah, they're, they're, very, they're very dangerous animals. Mm, okay. Oh, everybody likes to see the big cats. Tell me about the lions and the tigers. Well, we've got uh, with our lions, we have uh, two cubs, two females that were born last October. They're doing very, very well. Um, they like to get up on Pride Rock with their father and I think keep an eye on the zebras on the on the other side. <laughs> but they've been very popular with uh, with our guests. Um, tigers are another species we have that, that people love down at the Slauson Tiger Track. We just uh, received a recommendation to have a new male come here later this fall, probably early winter, um, from the Beardsley Zoo, and uh, he has a recommended breeding with two of our females. So hopefully in the next couple of years you'll see uh, tiger cubs out at the, the zoo as well. And we also have, over in that same general vicinity, we have recommendation for uh, a male red panda to join, join the zoo. So there's potential for breeding there in the future as well. Zoogoers can also see bison. Uh, wolves, right? Am I right? Yep, we have a whole... Animals that once roamed across these very plains. Yep. In fact, uh, the North American uh, area was built 25 years ago, 1993. We opened up what was called the North American Prairie. We just kind of refer to it as North America now. But yeah, species that inhabited this region historically, um, you know, bison are still found here on some managed uh, parcels of land. Uh, grizzly bears are gone, obviously. Um, cougars or mountain lions, however you want to you know, refer to them, they are making a comeback in this part of the country. Following the you know the Missouri River down from uh, uh, from Montana, they're having sightings in in parts of Missouri. So in, in this general vicinity, we're starting to see some buildup of some of those species again that you know once inhabited this region. Bears, bear. Well, not probably. We're not going to see grizzly bears back in Kansas. Not grizzlies, but are we? Any, do we have bears? Well, you know. I, uh, I have not seen a bear or heard of bears in, in Kansas. They I mean, are in the zoo. Oh, in the zoo. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We have grizzly bear and black bear both. We have both of them at the zoo. Okay. We're, one of the things that we're looking at in our um, in our updated master plan is, you know, tripling the size of the grizzly bear exhibit. So uh, kind of as I mentioned at the beginning of what we did for elephants is what we want to do for everything else. People get a kick out of the snakes and reptiles, as you know. Oh yeah! Uh, tell me about the snakes and reptiles and turtles. Yeah, well, we have a very we have a very diverse collection of, of amphibians and reptiles, and um, you know, snakes in particular 
have, have always, you know, been, in my opinion, a very misunderstood species. And uh, whether they love them or hate them, they want to look at them behind glass. But we have the perfect opportunity to educate people about the, you know, the valuable role that snakes play in the environment in terms of, you know, rodent control. Because unlike a lot of other animals where they only make, they may get a single mouse, if they get in, if a snake gets into a, a, a nest, they eat everything. They don't know when the, when the next meal's coming. So yeah. they're, they're nature's most efficient uh, mousetrap. Okay. And I'm pleased that you didn't bring one with you today. Um, <laughs> tell me about the petting zoo, which I think is a favorite place. Yeah, the, the children's farms. Uh, Children's farm. Yeah, whatever, the, yeah, the Asian and American farms were the first two things that were opened at the zoo back in 1971. We since added the, the African farm in 1989. But, you know, really showing the animals that are used in, in different cultures, you know, in, in a farming type situation. Uh, talking about agriculture and our dependence uh, on these on these animals. In fact, the ones we we manage are you know uh, heritage breeds, so we maintain the lineages on them just like we do the exotic species that we're managing. I've got a photo of my son, probably the first year that I know the first year the zoo was open, and he's about three or four, three years old maybe, and uh, he's standing there on and next to a one of those giant horses out there. Now he is uh, retired from the Air Force. So this wow. thing, this thing's going on three or four generations. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In fact, 19, in 2021 will be our 50th birthday coming up. So that, that'll be a big monumental year for us, uh, which is kind of hard to believe. But we're still young for it. When you think about majority of zoos, you know, a lot of them are 100 years plus, is that we're still a young zoo uh, by, by zoo terminology. You get, uh, of course, the county uh, helps and supports and, and people coming through the zoo, but you get a lot of private help, uh, do you not? And uh, I'm, I'm thinking you got some fundraisers to go on. you got Zubilee coming up, which is a great deal. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, Zubilee is coming up on September the 8th, which is a Saturday. Um, it is the wildest party in Wichita, um, and uh, it's a big part, you know. It, it does uh, give the animals something to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and it helps us substantially with, well, our, yeah. with our operating budget. It's a big fundraiser for the zoo. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're thankful for everyone that comes out to, to help support the zoo that evening and have a great time. Uh, lots of music, lots of food. We'll have, you know, the silent auction and the live auction, just as we've had in the past. Uh, and that continues to, to grow and evolve. We're moving the, the uh, silent auction over to the event field. We'll have uh, a setup right next to the, the pavilion now where we'll have the, the Cox Entertainment Lounge, so to speak, where we'll have some of the football games on that evening so people will be able to take their drinks and go in there and, and watch their favorite uh, sports activities. Lots of food, obviously, so uh, it's going to be a great time. I'm hoping Mother Nature cooperates with hey, the weather. Mostly, it, uh, almost every year. It's a little warm sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Hey, what, what, what's on your planning uh, board? What, what are you looking on your wish, wish list there? Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we've been engaged in strategic master planning since uh, late February, and we're just starting to finish that up. Um, and so I think there'll be some really interesting things we'll have to announce uh, later this year in terms of, you know, what things you might expect to see at the zoo over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, I can tell you we really want to look at putting a new front entry uh, on the zoo. We'd like to do that for our 50th uh a birthday if we can. We're living with the same entrance we've had since 1971. And obviously with, you know, a half a million people coming through uh, our gates, we really need to enhance that, you know, uh, experience as you come in there so we can get people through in a more timely fashion. So that's probably our, our big priority. And part of that will be to move administration from that building that sits out on the edge of the property down to the front of the zoo as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of guest enhancements 
uh, and experience right there at the front of the zoo. What's your biggest challenge in your job? Biggest challenge? Um, <laughs> Well, I think, you know, we, we built this giant zoo over the last 47 years is it's really how can we sustain that moving forward? And so that's a big part of our, our strategic plan is to look at, you know, uh, financial resources and how can we continue to support the zoo and grow it moving forward. And so that, you know, that's a big challenge, but it's, it's a good one to have, too. Well, you say it's a it's a secret, but it, it, for those of us who have lived here for most of our lives, it's not a secret. We know it's a great zoo, and and uh, it's a great thing to to show off when I have company with people coming in from out of town. A lot of us say, "Hey, let's go to the zoo," and it's a it's a great place to go, and great lot of things to see, and we're we're very proud of it. And and Dr. Edling, thank you for spending some time with us this well, morning. Thank you for having me in this morning. I know you've been around a little bit, and you're going to go back to St. Louis in a couple of weeks. But no, no, <laughs> thank you for your time. <laughs> That's all for this edition of Issues 2018. Our guest. Dr. Jeff Etling, Director of Sedgwick County Zoo. Of course, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.